Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Thank you for being here today. Watchmen on the Wall is here to bring clarity to the chaos and help make sense of the world around us. Today, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, is getting a much-needed update on Al-Qaeda and Afghanistan from Michael Samuel Smith. If you're new to the broadcast, welcome. Be sure to pick up the new listener pack. In the pack is a welcome letter with history about the ministry, the latest issue of the Prophetic Observer, and a free gift. Call 1-800-652-1144 and get your free new listener pack today. 1-800-652-1144 or online swrc.com. Time for the latest information and analysis on Al-Qaeda and Afghanistan from Larry Spargimino and Michael Smith. It is always a blessing to me, and I know to our listeners, to have Michael Samuel Smith on with us. Mike has been on several times before. He's a prophecy scholar, studies the Word of God, knows a lot about contemporary events, and always has a lot of insights. By the way, if you don't know, Mike is retired from American Airlines. He was a commercial pilot for many, many years and also a helicopter pilot. He is a writer, speaker, and film producer. Afghanistan is very much in the news today and also the war on terror. And we're going to be talking about that in the show. We're going to be looking at the years 1993 to 2000 and events that led up to the war on terror. Brother Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Dr. Spargimino. It's always a great honor to be on your program. I know when we do programs like I'm doing right now, I just have a sense of destiny that this material is so, so needed. I think we are blessed with great guests like yourself who bring a lot of insight, and I think all of this is very important. So, Brother Mike, you say there were several events that took place between 1993 and 2000 that led up to the war on terror in September 2001. Fill us in a little bit and tell us about all of that. Well, there were actually a number of major acts of terrorism directed against America between 1993 and 2000. And Clinton was the president at that time. Case in point number one, the World Trade Center bombing on February 26, 1993. A bomb exploded in a parking garage underneath the North Tower. Six people died and over a thousand were injured. This was the first act of terrorism by Al-Qaeda directed against America, and the U.S. government at the time knew Al-Qaeda was involved and never told the American people about Al-Qaeda. Ramsey Youssef was one of the perpetrators and trained at an Al-Qaeda training camp in Afghanistan under Osama bin Laden. By the way, Ramsey's uncle, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, was one of the principal architects of the September 11th attacks eight years later in 2001. Mr. Clinton's failure in this event was that he treated this event entirely as a criminal act and not an act of terrorism. 
case in point number two on April 19, 1995, the Alfred P. Mira building in Oklahoma City is struck by a massive bomb, killing 267 people and injuring more than 1,000 others. John O'Neill was in charge of this investigation, worked at the FBI's counterterrorism section. He was involved with planning and direction of all international and domestic counterterrorism investigations. Most of us are familiar with Timothy McVeigh. He's the man who was involved with blowing up that building in Oklahoma City. What the American people were not told was that Terry Nichols, McVeigh's Michigan friend, was tracked by the United States government traveling between the United States and the Philippines with a woman posing to be his common-law wife for three years from 1992 to 1995. Guess who Nichols was meeting with during his three years of travel to the Philippines? It was none other than Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, many years later, who was an al-Qaeda member. By the way, the government shared that information with McVeigh's elderly lawyer, but the lawyer was told he could not discuss that during McVeigh's trial. I often wondered why. By the way, that information came from McVeigh's lawyer who said that on TV. So there could be a possibility of an Islamic Jihad connection to the Oklahoma City bombing. So for the record, John O'Neill became the first FBI official to warn his supervisors that Osama bin Laden is becoming the greatest threat to U.S. national security. Now that was in 1995, right? Absolutely. When did he do this? He did it March 9, 1995, about six and a half years before 9-11. Case in point number three, and by the way, there were many, a truck bomb destroys the Kobar Towers residence in Saudi Arabia that houses U.S. Air Force personnel 19 American servicemen are killed and over 400 are wounded. Once again, John O'Neill is in on the investigation. The U.S. government knew al-Qaeda was responsible for this event. And once again, Clinton treats it as a criminal act and not as an act of terrorism. And never told the American people bin Laden and al-Qaeda was responsible. Wow. Case in point number four, two American embassies in Kenya and another one in Tanzania were bombed on the 7th of August, 1998. 220 people died, and the bombings were carried out by members and associates of Osama bin Laden's organization. Once again, the Clinton administration knew all of this and never told the American people bin Laden was responsible. Again, another criminal act, and because it wasn't considered an act of terrorism, there was no military retaliation. Case in point number five. On August 11, 1999, President Clinton grants clemency to 16 imprisoned members of a Puerto Rican terrorist group linked to a dozen killings, and listen to this, and more than 130 bombings in American cities. Critics say the decision to not take action was made to help First Lady Hillary Clinton's run for the U.S. Senate in New York. Was that true or not? I do believe it was true. Case in point number six. On January 3rd, 2000, al-Qaeda terrorists attempt to bomb the USS Sullivan in Yemen. 
but their bomb-laden skiff sinks from the weight of hundreds of pounds of explosives. Then, on January 20, 2000, top al-Qaeda leaders meet in Malaysia, where they plan an attack on the USS Cole. Among those attending are Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and two September 11, 2001 hijackers. Then on October 12, 2000, the USS Cole is attacked by two al-Qaeda suicide bombers in Yemen, killing 17 sailors and wounding dozens more. Once again, John O'Neill is in charge of the USS Cole bombing investigation. As he arrives on October 15, 2000 in Yemen to lead the investigation, he is immediately confronted by Barbara Bodine, U.S. Ambassador to Yemen. She doesn't want O'Neill in the country. It was the first and only time a State Department official has denied an FBI official country clearance. Wow, this is unbelievable. Mm. What I would like for the American people to take away from all of this is John O'Neill, for years, more than anyone else in the United States government, had his finger on the pulse of Osama bin Laden every step of the way. So disillusioned by the FBI's resistance to change, John's 31-year career with the FBI came sooner than he expected. A man who dreamed of being an agent all of his life. You could say John was the real Inspector Erskine, who was played by Ephraim Zimelis Jr. in the FBI's TV show back in the 1960s. As unbelievable as this sounds, John retired from the FBI on August 22, 2001, and on August 23, 2001, John O'Neill started his new job as the Director of Security at the Twin Towers. And on September 11, 2001, John O'Neill and more than 2,800 other people were killed when the World Trade Center was struck by hijacked jets, as well as the Pentagon, as well as a crashed airliner in Pennsylvania. John was in the South Tower when it fell in 10 seconds and was tragically killed. Marie Weiss wrote a book about John O'Neill called The Man Who Warned America in 2003, telling his heroic story. It was all of this that led up to the war on terror because for years no action was taken by the Clinton administration. Right. I remember Dr. Paul Williams had written an excellent book, The War Against America and the World, or something like that. But he tells the story of a man by the name of Adnan Shukrujima, who is one of the al-Qaeda explosive experts, the owner of a Denny's in Denver, Colorado, spotted Shukrujima. So he calls the local FBI and says, oh, you got to come here. This guy, he said, I know his name. I've seen his picture. Well, the FBI gives this owner of the Denny's a runaround and says, well, you got to call Washington, blah, 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 blah. He says, why do I have to call Washington? This guy's right here in Denver. The FBI finally comes two days later. And, of course, Shukrujima is gone. I mean, this information that you've brought out is so disgusting, so disgraceful, but I believe it all, and I think we're seeing it even today in 2021. Why and when did the U.S. invade Afghanistan? The United States invasion of Afghanistan took place on October 7, 2001. This was in response to the 9-11 attacks on New York and the Pentagon. Even before this, the Northern Alliance, under a very brave Ahmad Massoud, led attacks against the Taliban before America's entry into the war. 
The main purpose of America going to war in Afghanistan was to dismantle al-Qaeda and deny them a base by removing the Taliban. Wow, and now the Taliban is back in charge and telling us we got to get out by August the 31st or else there's going to be consequences. Well, can you give us a rundown of the numbers and categories of people who died in the war on terror? I'm sure it's very substantial. The total of American service members killed in Afghanistan was 2,448 people. The last two Americans that died in action was first class Javier Gutierrez Jr. and Antonio Rodriguez on 8 February 2020. Of U.S. contractors, 3,846 died, and the total of total good guy Afghan soldiers as well as national police, it's believed upward of 69,000 of them were killed in action. That's more than America lost in Korea or Vietnam. And by the way, over 47,000 Afghan civilians died in the 20-year war. As to the Taliban and other opposition fighters, 51,191 of them were killed. There were also 444 aid workers and 72 journalists killed in Afghanistan. Wow, I never realized that. How much of the war on terror cost? Well, that's a very good question. If you go online and inquire, there are several estimates. Some estimates are around $2.2 trillion, but the best estimate, in my opinion, is from the Watson Institute under Brown University. They estimate the war on terror from 2001 to just 2020 was $6.4 trillion. But one thing is very clear. Most of that money was money we didn't have, and generations after us will be paying for that. Well, that's another tragedy, and to think that now we're surrendering the place and we've left millions of dollars of our equipment there, it's just tragic. But I've got another question. What would you say to all those military people who served in the war on terror, as well as Gold Star surviving family members, especially in view of what's happening now? Well, this is the most emotional, gut-wrenching part of this interview for me personally, Pastor Larry. So let me say something directly to all the men and women that served in the war on terror first. If you haven't heard it yet from the left-wing media on TV, there are those who will say all these people who served in this war, it was all in vain. If you hear that from anyone, remind them, the purpose of the war on terror was to avert another 9-11 on America. And I did my best to keep you safe, sir or ma'am. To those that served, you fought in the longest war in United States history. Like those that fought in Korea or Vietnam, there wasn't much fanfare when they came home. But like all those who served in previous wars, you have a badge of courage on your chest knowing you did something good for your country. You're in a league that can be proud to say, I earned a little bit of freedom for myself so others could be free. I am very sure a year from now, all those Afghanis that got trapped when Afghanistan fell, you can be best assured they will look back when the Americans came to Afghanistan and remembered all the compassion and freedom America gave them. They will never forget and they knew you were a hero. Keep in mind, aside from Afghanistan, women experiencing freedom for the first time ever in Afghan history, you gave them a taste of opportunity and hope to them and their children. It was only a dream, not 
many decades ago. So on behalf of all us patriots and freedom-loving Americans, I want to say thank you for all you have done. It was a success, and it wasn't in vain. On the spiritual front, thousands of Afghans are Bible-believing Christians today because of the opportunities you made possible. Even Muslims there had the freedom to practice what they believe. Always keep in mind, America isn't made up of buildings in Washington, D.C. Its foundation is in Judeo-Christian believers, along with those that love and support what America was founded upon. We are honored to have you back home, and it wouldn't be possible unless you had great love and support from your families back home. Most Americans really don't know the sacrifices military families make to support their loved ones in uniform. Civilians don't realize what families go through in deployments, whether their loved one was on the ground or at sea, not to mention military families changing bases every few years. Many of children in school in high school, perhaps, or grade school, but those in high school in foreign countries, they don't get to graduate sometimes with the people they knew for years because they came back to the States. So to all the Gold Star families who had a loved one die overseas, we grieve with you for all the sacrifices your military member fought and died for. Thank you so much for the love and sacrifice you made praying and caring for them. Our grateful nation says God bless you and thank you. We also want to thank all those who were wounded in the war, there's emotional wounding, too, that wasn't physical for some, but still lingers on for years. If we put our cares upon Jesus, who paid the ultimate price, he will take on our cares, too, First Peter 5, 7. That's the real source of true happiness. Well, God bless you, and thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, Brother Mike, we certainly need to pray for our country. We are in desperate straits, and I think our disgraceful pullout, leaving all these Americans there, is just emboldening al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Taliban. And I know President Trump had destroyed ISIS, but now I understand they're regrouping. What a disgrace. What a shame. What a dishonor. How could this happen in America? I'll tell you how. We're sound asleep, and especially the church. We need to wake up. Thank you, gentlemen. This important update on al-Qaeda in Afghanistan will continue next time. Get your own audio copy of the complete update from Michael Smith and al-Qaeda in Afghanistan by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online swrc.com. Pastor Larry is back ready to answer more of your Bible questions. You can send your questions to askpastorlarry at swrc.com. That's askpastorlarry at swrc.com. Many are wondering if God has cast the American Republic off. Are we being abandoned by God because of our sins? Is America under a futility curse? Is the fact that America has been plagued with a variety of problems which seem to have no solution the result of God's activity of giving us what we deserve? In Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28, God promises both blessings and curses upon Israel 
The blessings are blessings for obedience. The curses are given for disobedience. Many of those curses in Scripture give us God's views on the news. We need to evaluate contemporary events in the light of Scripture and learn from the Scripture. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. God's revelation to Israel can be instructive in helping God's people understand our world today. This should not be surprising. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 tell us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Jonathan Kahn, the senior pastor of Beth Israel Worship Center in Wayne, New Jersey, has been the voice calling in the wilderness, calling America to return to God in humility and repentance. In his book, The Harbinger, Khan draws parallels to the United States and ancient Israel and the warnings, known as harbingers, that preceded ultimate disaster in biblical times. Following the inauguration of President Joe Biden, Khan released a YouTube video that gave a prophetic call to the new president and all Americans. Khan quoted from George Washington's inauguration address in 1789, in which the first president stated, The propitious smiles of heaven cannot be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right that heaven itself has ordained. Khan challenged Biden's executive orders regarding abortion and transgender rights regarding sports and bathroom access. Mr. President, Khan said, how can you place your left hand on the Bible, the Word of God, and then with your right hand sign laws into existence that war against His Word? How can you place one hand on the Word that ordains human life as sacred and in the image of God from conception, and then with the other hand sign laws into existence that will promulgate the killing of that human life? This question regarding America and a futility curse has become extremely pressing in view of President Biden's handling of the U.S. troop pullout from Afghanistan. Many are claiming that this is one of the most shockingly disgraceful moments in American history. Polls show that most Americans agree this administration's pullout from Afghanistan is a disaster. Former U.S. President Donald Trump said Biden's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan is the single most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. America has deserted its allies in Afghanistan, and America's allies are now doubtful that they will ever support an American cause again. Twenty years in Afghanistan and the loss of thousands of American lives sounds like an Old Testament futility curse has been hurled from heaven like a thunderbolt. How could we be so absolutely stupid unless God is designing our doom? America's abandonment of Afghanistan is a disaster beyond description. The Taliban takeover provides fresh inspiration for Islamic radicals worldwide, while at the same time providing a safe zone for terror groups. A recent sermon titled War on Islam and preached recently by Canadian Imam Yunus Kathadra at the Muslim Youth of Victoria Islamic Center comes across with this message, and I quote it. Look at all the money spent by Jews and Christians to destroy Islam. Look at what the West tried to do for 20 years in Afghanistan, and now what has happened? Islam has overcome. Islam will overcome. As for the Jews and Christians, they are not our friends. We must stand with our brothers in Afghanistan and support Sharia law, 
We say, Allahu Akbar. It sounds like we spent our strength in vain. So many things that we spend millions of dollars on are in vain, which is part of the futility curse given in Leviticus 26.20. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. It has been many years since we have won a war. We left a divided Korea, and to our shame, Rocket Man in the Hermit Kingdom is rattling his rockets at us and threatening to destroy America by fire. China likewise supported North Korea, and now China is seeking to expand and threatening Taiwan to destroy Taiwan. Chinese Admiral Luo has threatened to sink two American aircraft carriers and thereby killing their crews, some 10,000 men and women. Godly King Josiah came to the throne and sought to bring revival to the Jewish people. 2 Kings chapter 23 tells how Josiah deposed idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense of the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places around about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven, as we read in 2 Kings 23, 5. Verse 7 says, He, that is Josiah, break down the house of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grove. Josiah was a godly king, yet despite his prayers, his attempts at reform and revival, the nation, like America today, plunged into more wickedness. Second Chronicles 36 describes doom for the nation. Verse 15 and following describes it in gory details, quote, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their strong men with the sword and the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. God had compassion on his people, according to this passage, but they would not listen. God has had compassion on America, but America has not listened. If we continue in stubbornness and pass laws legitimizing that which God says is an abomination, our nation will die an agonizing death. Fortunately, there are signs of pushback and signs of revival. Prayer will make the difference. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Two excellent resources for you today. What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran by Bill Federer and the DVD American Destiny 400 Years by Michael Smith. Get both the book and DVD for a gift of $35 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order the special resources by visiting swrc.com. Tomorrow, we continue to get the latest update on Al-Qaeda and Afghanistan, 
and Jerry Tyson will have a Bible in the News Report. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.